We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. Thanks for um, braving cold and snow and ice and um, it's amazing as a pastor on a Sunday morning like this, how many text messages you get from your people explaining that they can't make it out of their driveways, as if we're judging you on your membership for not making it, but um, but I, I wondered if they were asking for a ride. I didn't volunteer, but there for a moment it felt like people were saying, hey, could you come get us? And um, that's the life of a Jeep owner, right, Josh Brown? You just, you're there for everyone's ride. So I think that if you live on a hill, you should have to own a Jeep. I think those are the two rules to get out and about, but, and it's good to see you guys today. I hope you've um, enjoyed your holiday um, weekends that you've had and um, are rested and, uh, and or, or not, I feel less rested than I did before holidays, but I hope that you're ready to kind of move back into um, life and, and a new year. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next year, what the Lord has for us as a church, um, even in the midst of feeling like dragging myself across the threshold of a new year in some ways. And so, Looking forward to walking um, with you this year. Today's a, a special day for us at Emmaus because today is our seventh birthday as a church, right? Seven years that Emmaus Church has officially existed. Officially, January 4th, 2015, we had our first worship gathering and covenanted as members of this church. I believe there were 35 of us that day. There's not much more of you than that here today with the snow and ice, um, but the Lord has done a lot of growth for us over those years. Seven years of meeting together today also happens to be our 365th Sunday, right? 365 Sundays, which means if you took them all, smashed them together, you'd have a whole year of Sundays, right? Every day of the year full of Sunday worshiping. And so it's really special for us to get to be together today and kind of go, we've been meeting with a whole year's worth of Sundays. We've been meeting for seven years. We've been meeting here to hear the word preached and to proclaim the word in song and to confess our sins and to encourage one another. We've been meeting in community groups for seven years across this city, confessing sins to one another, carrying one another's burdens, walking with one another in life. We've been training and sending out pastors, and we've been training and sending out missionaries, and we've been um, training and sending out church members who move to other places and take new jobs and um, become uh, solid members of new churches. Should have been training me to keep my microphone on my shirt. We've been training people and sending them out um, for seven years, and it's just uh, the kindness of God that we've found ourselves here today. And so we want to celebrate that today, and, uh, and then recommend any of you that plan a church, don't don't start the first Sunday of, of the year because ice and cold. It was a terrible strategy, but the Lord did it, and we made it. What's going on behind me? Everyone's looking. Wow, that's cool. All right. You're always, you're always in that moment where you're like, what is popping up behind me, and is it embarrassing for someone? You know, one of those, I was uh, sitting at some place one time with a group of men, and we were all sitting around the place, and a video popped up on the TV. We were watching the Royals play. And a video popped up on the TV from YouTube, and it was John Piper talking about how much a pastor's salary should be. And everyone in the room knew I'm a pastor. And everyone looks at me, they're like, hey, what are you trying to do? Like, what are you trying to say? Someone had accidentally hit a cast button on their YouTube and cast it to the television, and it was this old gray-haired guy sitting over in the corner who was interested in what his pastor was making at his church, but everyone thought it was me. And so every time something pops up, I'm just like, what are you guys looking at? 
what are they? They're over there on Facebook, and you guys are all checking it out there, social media. It's great. Hey, a um, couple announcements. We'll jump into this text. Um, first of all is this. We have um, coming up next week, we're beginning the book of Acts. And so we're going to be journeying majority of this year through the book of Acts. We'll take a break in this summer. This summer we're going to do a short three-part series. Um, it might be one of the most practical um, uh, titles of a series. It's a how-to series, how to rest, how to work, and how to pray right, for the glory of God. We're going to do three weeks on that this summer. And then we're going to do a four-week doctrinal series on the attributes of God this summer. And other than that, we're just in the book of Acts from now. Um, until Advent starts. We'll finish right before Advent of next year. And so we're looking forward to jumping into that next week and talking about being a community on mission. Um, Patrick Schreiner will be preaching for us next week and opening up that series for us. He's an elder candidate here at our church. He also has um, a theology of Acts and a commentary on Acts coming out this spring. And so um, he didn't release them early enough for us to use them, but they're coming out this spring, and so he's been doing a lot of studies. So I'm like, would you please do the intro and help us catch the big picture of this book as we jump into it? So join us next week as we dive into that. And then um, if you are, are a volunteer here at Emmaus, make sure that you get your blockout dates in before tomorrow. So when you go home today, after you watch the Chiefs, eat lunch, get on your computer and put in some uh, blockout dates for the rest of this, uh, this next quarter so that you are scheduled accordingly to your schedule. We'd appreciate you doing that to help us out with that. Let me pray for us. We're going to jump into this text. And Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you for blessing us through this book of Ecclesiastes. Father, today we need you to speak to us, we need you to encourage us, we need you to challenge us, we need you to, to free us, we need you to um, call us forth to obedience and to fear of you. Father, today we need to hear from the Spirit through the words of Christ and through Solomon here. So would you speak to us through your word? Father, be with our brothers and sisters who are not able to join us today for holiday travel or for weather's sake, would you be with them at their homes, where they're at? Would you encourage them and their families today? Strengthen them for another week. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Some of us have struggled with the book of Ecclesiastes. Right? We've struggled with the book of Ecclesiastes because it's hard to face the reality of life that Solomon paints for us. I mean, Solomon doesn't really pull any punches. He doesn't pull reality out and, and ignore it. He talks about life and death and suffering and pain and heartache and loss and betrayal and failure and darkness and work, a work that actually never ends and a work that gains profit that could be lost at any moment, a profit that fades, joys that flee, and in his words, this hevel, this fleeting, this slipping through your fingers of life, ultimately ending in death where you lose everything that you've worked to gain in this life. For some of us, it's hard to face this reality. We'd rather ignore the reality of life. We'd rather ignore the pains and the hurts. We'd rather put blinders on and just look to eternity. Pretend like none of this really matters. We just have, this is all something we just have to make it through. We just have to survive this and get past it and get to eternity. And we'd rather just ignore the reality that's around us. Some of us have struggled with Ecclesiastes because it's hard to face a call to enjoy life 
to rejoice in life in the midst of all this darkness. Right? He's very real about the darkness, but then he also gives this twist to it. And he says, because life's hard and dark, and because it's fleeting and not lasting, and because even the joys come and they go, and the pains, they come and they go, because of this, enjoy every moment. Enjoy life. Enjoy all the gifts that God gives us. And it's been hard for us to receive that because we, we know pain. Right? We know the struggle of this pain. We're well aware of loss and the sands of time slipping through our hands. We have deep pain, and we know others' deep pain, and it's hard to enjoy days of life in the midst of this. Some of us have struggled with Ecclesiastes because we struggle to enjoy the temporary things of life because we're solely focused on the eternal things of God. Right? We struggle to enjoy the temporary things of the hevel of this world because we're so focused on the eternal things of God. Now, let me explain. Right? Because there's a rightness to looking to eternity. Right? There's a hope that comes in this. Even Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, for this light momentary affliction that is, pre- is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal, or that are unseen are eternal. And Paul goes, there's this hope in looking beyond this life and what's around you right now. We even just sang about this in the song, It Is Well. Right, that as he writes that song, he's on a ship at sea where his family had died in another shipwreck. And he's writing and he's looking to the eternal, the things that he does not yet see, and he's holding victory. He's claiming hope that it is well for his soul, even though right now, this moment doesn't feel very well. There's a goodness to looking to eternity. So what I'm not saying is, hey, be focused here. Eternity doesn't really matter. That's another thing to worry about. Look there for hope. But in the midst of that, some of us have become so focused there that we actually ignore the here. Right? That's what we've obtained and what we're chasing after, and we actually don't embrace what's around us right now. Maybe even so much so that we do it in a sinful way that we just, we refuse to enjoy what God's given us. Because this all feels frivolous. Right? The things that are around us are frivolous. When, when Solomon says enjoy the gifts of life, we're like, and those things don't matter. Those things don't really matter. That, that vacation, what a waste. Right, that good food, what, what a waste. Like, I'm focused on eternity and eternity alone. I'm, my entire life, I'm shaping around that and only spending my life on that, and I'm not actually enjoying anything that God puts before me here. So it's been hard for some of us. And for some of us, it's been hard because he tells us to enjoy life. And all we actually do is enjoy life. Because when Solomon says enjoy life, remember, he's doing this with the mindset that we enjoy life with a focus on eternity as well. That this life is not ultimate. And as we've been dealing with this with Solomon, it actually has brought up conviction that we've made the enjoyment of this life ultimate. Solomon will not allow us to ignore the enjoyment of God's temporary gifts in this world of heaven. 
In fact, it is exactly because these gifts are temporary and exactly because they exist in a temporary world that we must enjoy them now, he says. Don't wait for tomorrow to enjoy the gift. Enjoy it today. Tomorrow might not come. Ecclesiastes doesn't allow Christians to hold the pleasures of life as their ultimate pursuit. Everything under the sun is fleeting away. And to try to hold anything under the sun as our ultimate is a chasing of the wind and it's idolatry. We'll never catch it. But Ecclesiastes also doesn't allow Christians to be solely focused on the eternal and therefore refuse to enjoy the pleasures of this life. To do so fails to worship God for the gifts he has given us in these days. Listen to the words of Martin Luther. He says in his commentary on the Psalms, one becomes a theologian not by understanding, reading, and speculating, but by living, dying, and being damned. One becomes a theologian not by understanding, reading, and speculating, but by living, dying, and being damned. In other words, there's an understanding of God and his world, an understanding of theology that comes from living, from experience. And this is the theology that Solomon's bringing forth from us. He has lived intentionally to know God and his ways and to know God's world and its ways. And so as we dive into the last chapter of this book, I want us to remember that this book, Solomon's life, and our lives that we've lived are teaching us a theology about God. We have to bring our experiences to the scriptures. But what we've experienced in life, death, suffering and pain and loss and joys and gifts and blessings. They teach us about our God and they teach us about ourselves. The conclusion to Ecclesiastes is the same conclusion to life, death. Chapter 12 is a poem and it's a poem full of metaphors, at least most of it's a poem, full of metaphors about death. As with poetry, it is good for us not to necessarily try to pick every line apart to exactly understand what he's meaning, but to feel it. To let ourselves sit in the poem, to let ourselves sit in the metaphors, to let ourselves imagine and picture and feel the weight of death that he's talking about. So here on the first Sunday of the year, when we're looking to a year of life ahead of us, we get to start that by talking about death, which is exactly Solomon's point. Live life with death in mind. Not in a morbid way, but in a way that gives you purpose today. Live life with death in mind. For some of us, the memory of death, feeling death, is, is the feeling of death is all too close to us today. Our death has come recently or often or heavily in our lives. And as he goes through the poem of death, it's not going to be really hard for us to kind of sit in it and feel it. In fact, it could feel overwhelming. Sorry for your loss. I've prayed comfort for you today in your grief. Sit in it, though. Don't push back the emotions. Don't hide the feelings. Sit in them. That's what Solomon would want you to do as he brings this forth.
for some of us, death hasn't really rattled us much. We're primarily a young church. Most of us haven't lost our parents. Few of us have lost close ones to us. Very few of us think that we're actually going to die anytime soon. It's going to take some work for us to sit in his metaphor. To maybe bring ourselves to the place of understanding what it could be like to be the person he's talking about in this poem. In a moment, he'll illustrate this person as the mighty grasshopper who used to hop and now drags himself along. His legs don't work. The man, who's a strong man, who's bent over and broken. And it takes some work for us to find ourselves in that place because many of us are young and strong and healthy. So let's do the work in our minds and in our hearts as we hear this. In verse 1, well, let me just read the chapter for us, okay? Let me read the chapter and we'll come back. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and tares are in the way. The almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. and Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the will broken at the cistern and the dust returns to earth as it was and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. The vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now in chapter one, he tells us to remember your creator. Remember your creator. If you remember in chapter 11, which we were in several weeks ago, we took a break for Ronnie to preach his farewell sermon and then two weeks of Advent. So it's been four weeks since we've been in chapter 11. But if you remember back up in chapter 11, he tells us to remember the days of darkness for they will be many. Remember the days of darkness will be many. And then he commands us to rejoice in every day. So again, the, the author of of, of of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he's, he's not ignoring the dark days. Hey, rejoice in the good and forget the dark. He's going, there'll be many, many dark days that you have to face in your life. Remember them. Take note of them. 
Remember them when you're beyond them, but also remember them before them. There'll come more. There'll be more. There'll be many. And in the midst of them, rejoice. Let's just pause for a moment and recognize the difficulty of this. Like the, the difficulty of what he's telling us. Rejoice in all your days, even the dark ones. Rejoice in all your days, even your dark ones. Do you have some dark days in your mind that you face? Hopelessness, discouragement, death, betrayal, lost dreams. My junior year, I lost two of my closest friends within a 30-day period, one to a car wreck and one to cancer. During college, I lost a handful of friends. By the time I was done with college, it wasn't just two, but it was 11 friends who had passed away. Many of those in car wrecks, including my uncle, have sat on the grass at 3 a.m. with a mother whose two teenage daughters had been killed in a car wreck that night. Several people very close to me have extreme childhood trauma. And I've walked through dark days, very hard days with them. I personally had anxiety attacks and panic attacks and dark nights of wanting to die so badly that I've literally asked my wife to hide the knives. I've sat in dark closets and sobbed in parked cars and punched steering wheels and screamed in anger at God. There have been dark days. For Solomon to go rejoice in all of them really makes me mad and really gives me hope. It does both. He's asking us to do a hard thing here, to see that there are dark days and to still look to God with hope and to rejoice in the gift of even the dark days. I want to remind us that throughout this book, he continues to tell us this over and over and over again. That's the point. The point that he has is not to ignore the dark days, but to embrace the reality of life, the hevel, and thus to walk and joyful trust of God and enjoyment of his gifts. Which leads us to chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, remember your creator. Remember your creator. When he says, remember your creator, he's not simply saying, hey, don't forget about God today. Right? Don't, don't forget he's still there. He's actually drawing us back to Ecclesiastes 3. If you remember in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon goes through this passage where there's a time for everything. Right, his poetry or, or the great song by the birds. Right, there's a time for living and a time for death, a time for weeping and a time for laughing, a time for um, planting, a time for plucking up. And at the end of this passage of a time for everything, he says, and God's the creator of all these times. The time for laughter was created by him. And the time of mourning was created by him. And now at the conclusion, he brings our attention back to this creator God who has created all the days, even the dark days that he's recently told us to rejoice in. 
And he says, so remember the dark days and rejoice in those by remembering the creator, the one who is good and is loving and is intentional and has created these days. Remember him. Remember the God who created the day and remember the God who has given you the warmth of the sun and the cold of the night. Remember the God who has given you the gift of new life and the loss of life ending. Remember the God who has given you seasons of laughter and seasons of weeping. Remember the creator of all days while you still have a day. Remember him. And Paul says, remember your creator. He follows it then by saying, while you are still young. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and draw near. It's very fitting for us as a church because we're a pretty young church. As we look across this board, especially on a day like today with the weather, we're very young in this, um, in this auditorium. But we're, we're a young church. It's very fitting for us that Solomon's conclusion, he actually says, remember the creator while you are young. Now, as he says while you're young, understand that it's not as much of an age issue as it is a stage of life issue for him here. Because the contrast to being young is being near death. The contrast for him to being young is being near death. When your body's broken, your eyes are dimming, there is no adventure left in life, and you find yourself unable to get yourself out of bed. The reality is, for those of us in this room who are young, death seldom seems close to us. And it seldom seems close to us. When we get sick, it's not life-altering, but a minor setback. When we get injured, it's not life-changing, but a short season of healing. When we lose all of our financial investment, there's time to make a new investment and get it back. When the clouds come, we believe they'll leave. When the dark nights fall upon us, we believe there'll be a day of light tomorrow. But for the old, this isn't the case. For the old, every sickness could be the end. For the old, every injury is a long healing process if there will be healing at all. For the old, a lost investment is lost for good. For the old, cloudy days do not have the promise or even the hope of sunny tomorrows. And dark nights might not know light in the morning. Solomon calls us to recognize what it will be like on our last days so that we might actually live life well today while we still have life. Think about death when you can enjoy the gifts God has given you so that today you'll enjoy them. Look at verse 2. Let's just read 1 into 2. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Right, in verse two, he's talking about death as nightfall and as storms and as winter. Right, remember, he says, your creator, before the days come and the years draw near of which you will say, 
I have no pleasure anymore. Like that moment in life where you would actually rather be dead than still alive. Your body is in so much pain. You can't leave your house. You have no social interactions. Your grandkids have forgotten about you. And you find yourself in a place alone and isolated and in pain going, death will be a gift. This world has lost all of its pleasures. Remember your creator before you get there, he says. Don't wait for that moment and then go, ah, I wish I would have enjoyed the pleasures of life. I wish I would have remembered the creator. I wish I would have been focused on God and his gifts to me. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. He goes on in verses three and four. And in verses three and four, he talks about death as a house in decline. He talks about strong men who are bent over as their bodies fall apart. He talks about no longer being able to go out and, and have the adventures of life of being stuck at home. Let's see how he says it in verses three and four. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. You find yourself in this moment in that dark place. You, you see it. You feel it. You look out the window. There's a life out there, but you can't get out the door to see it. You wake up early, unable to sleep any longer. He goes on in verse 5. In verse 5, he's going to talk about death and the fears that set into life. He's going to talk about gray hair on top of our head and the mighty grasshopper dragging itself along before death. They are afraid of what is high. Tears are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, right? That's thought of to be the gray hair on top. It's your hair's turned white. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. He's given us the picture of the funeral. The gray hair has come. The mighty grasshopper is dragging itself to death. And the mourners are in the streets. Verse 6. He says, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered by the fountain, or the will broken at the cistern. He's giving us ideas of, of something that can't hold water anymore. Of something that can't hold life anymore. A jar that has been shattered Right, a pot that is cracked at the well. You pour the water into it and it leaks out. A wheel on the well that you would lower the bag down in to bring up the water, but the wheel's broken so no water can be drawn out. Life has faded and there is no life to come. And then in verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. 
all is vanity. Hevel of hevels. Fleeting of fleeting. Vapor of vapor. Smoke of smoke. The life you once had ahead of you is suddenly gone. You thought you had a grasp on it. Little did you know it was coming to an end so quickly. Guys, Solomon's point is that life is slipping through your fingers. This very moment, you're closer to death than you've ever been. And for some of us, we'll be 85 when we begin to drag ourselves along like a grasshopper. For some of us, it could be tomorrow. A sickness today changes everything tomorrow. A phone call today changes everything this next week. We are not guaranteed to be 85 with gray almond tree hair. All that we are guaranteed is that life will end in death. And he says, until that day, before that day, before you get to that day, Remember your creator. Remember him and live life in remembrance of him. Pursuit of him. Chasing him with all your days. Right? I mean, one of the things he's told us throughout this book is because life is slipping away and because you can't control it, you're actually free to enjoy it. Right? It's... The lack of enjoyment of life comes when we are trying to control life, when we're chasing the wind, when we're trying to avoid death, and we're trying to get away from loss, and we're trying to avoid sickness. And what we want is we want to control every aspect of life so that we keep a handle on it. And in the midst of that, it makes us not able to enjoy any of it because all of it then is stress and anxiety and worry, and are we doing this right? He says, so just let go. You can't control any of this. It's slipping through your fingers. Remember your creator who created all of these days. He's in charge of all of them. He's got it. He's not under the sun like you are, unable to control this. Instead, he's the God who is above the sun, who's telling the wind where to go. He's not chasing the wind. He's the one telling it to blow. Remember him. Trust him Hope in him, in his goodness, in his greatness to you, in his kindness to you, even in the dark days, and allow that to cause you to rejoice in the darkest of moments and to enjoy the gifts, even when they're gifts that are hard. Every day you have is a gift from him. The good ones and the bad ones. Solomon goes, are you rejoicing? Are you rejoicing by trusting him? Because rejoicing in those looks like enjoying them. Right? It looks like a hope in God of just, God, I, I, man, this is really hard, but I'm going, to, I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to trust you in this. Yes, it looks like that. And it also looks like I'm going to trust you so much that I'm actually going to enjoy the things I can enjoy right now, even while everything else feels like it's caving in. And it's not to do so in an ignorance of all the pain. It's to do so in a worship of a God who is in control of all of it. And so in the midst of everything else falling around, it's like, I love to cook, so I'm going to go home today, and I'm going to cook a really good meal, and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to rejoice in the creator God who created all of these ingredients 
and who created the taste buds in my mouth and who gave me the opportunity to sit down and cook and enjoy a good meal. I love football and watching men act like boys and hit each other. So today I'm going to go home and I'm going to put on a chief sweatshirt and I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm going to watch football and I'm going to cheer like a little kid. And if we lose, I'll cry like a little kid. We'll enjoy it and rejoice. If you have children in the home, you go home and you play with them. One of my favorite things that I've seen recently with my wife and my son, in the midst of a lot of really dark days, by the way, in our life, my wife has this new thing with my son where she goes, uh-oh, there's a new voice. The voice is telling me to tickle you. What should I do? And Asa goes berserk before the tickle even comes. There's laughter and there's running and there's screaming and there's all of a sudden an all-out tickle war. She doesn't even have to say the voice is telling me to tickle you anymore. She just goes, Asa, the voice is there. And Asa freaks out. And his laughter brings so much joy. Right, Enjoying those moments. And go home with your kids and put on 22 layers of clothes and go outside for two and a half minutes and enjoy snow for two and a half minutes taking a photo and then go back in and be like, well, that was terrible for me, but that was fun for them, right? Enjoying life, even when the cold can kill you. If you're married, take your girl out this week. Take her to dinner. Get good drink and good food and laugh and talk and dream and cry and enjoy life. If you need a good laugh, go home. Pull up Netflix, watch a funny show, a stand-up comedian, and laugh. And don't feel like you're wasting your life because you turned on the television. Laughter is good for your soul. Laughter is worship. Enjoy life that God's given you. If you find yourself tomorrow, 24 hours later, still watching Netflix, that's an issue. But don't be the extreme person who goes, because I might watch this for 24 hours, I won't watch it for 30 minutes. Go laugh at it. Enjoy it. And go on a vacation this year, guys. Go somewhere. Go to Branson. Do a staycation. On your staycation, do special things. And if you can, go someplace beautiful. Stand at the base of a mountain and look up and be in awe at God's majesty. Stand on the seashore and look out at an endless ocean and be in awe at how tiny you are. Do something to enjoy the gifts that God's given you this year. It's not frivolous and it's not a waste. Be responsible, but enjoy the world that God's given you to enjoy while you still can. Because you don't know what tomorrow has or what next year brings. Remember your creator. Verses 9 through 12. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. 
The words of the wise are like goads, and the like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by, um, given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. Right, Sam? And much study is a weariness of the flesh. To the author. I was thinking Matthew Barrett might be here. who's written like two million books, but Sam's written two, so we've we're 30. We're going for Sam. There's no end to many books. So the author moves from his poetry about death, and he moves into summarizing what he has done. And he says, what I have done is I've given you words of wisdom and knowledge, and I've done so carefully. My words weren't frivolous. They weren't careless. I didn't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I think I have something to say. Such a Twitter world. You know what? I, I think I have something to say about this. It was no, I spent a lot of time thinking and processing and experiencing and praying. I chose my words carefully. Look what he says. Verse 10. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So as he's seeking to give us wisdom and knowledge, he spent time to come up with words of delight for us and words of truth. He wanted to make what he said beautiful, and he wanted to make what he said delightful, pleasing, truthful, good for us. And they took time to do so. Someone who's going to instruct in wisdom, who's going to instruct in knowledge, should take time to craft their words carefully about how to do so. Don't be frivolous with those words. Someone who's going to correct someone on their sin, who's going to encourage someone to obedience, who's going to give someone words of wisdom for life, should be careful and thoughtful about how to do so. Too many of us are not careful and thoughtful, myself included. We're quick to speak and slow to prepare to speak. But then see what he says in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. So, He actually says, listen, I chose my words in this book very carefully for you. I wanted to instruct you in wisdom. I wanted to instruct you in knowledge. I wanted to do so in a delightful and truthful way. And at the same time, some of the words are like goads. A goad is what a shepherd uses. It's a sharp stick that a shepherd uses to jolt the sheep back from danger. The sheep that's too close to the cliff, get back, get away. It's like the shock collar for my dog, which I love to jolt. Right? He runs out of the yard deciding to go chase a car. And come back. Right? And he turns around. Now, he's gotten shocked twice. That's it. Now, you just beep it, and he thinks the shock's coming. He runs back to your side. That beeping to my dog is the jolt of the goad. Brings them back from danger. And he says, listen, I've chosen my words carefully. I've done a lot of thought here. I've tried to be gentle and delightful and bring truth. But some of the words that I say will sting. Some are jolts. You guys, in a culture where 
we are really slow to receive anything that has any appearance of hurting us. Just know sometimes the truth from God through his people, his shepherds, and, and other believers actually has a jolt to it, a sting. That doesn't mean that it was wrong to be given to you. Receive it. The pain's keeping you from danger sometimes. And then he says in verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Whether good or evil. So his summary of the whole book, as he concludes this whole thing with two sentences, he says this, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. But right? if you remember the chapter when we talked about fear, it's not like just this idea of fear as trust. No, he literally means be afraid of him. Why should we be afraid of God? Because he's the God who has created all our days. He's the God who brings the beautiful days and the dark days. He's the God who is above the sun, who controls all the wind of life. He's the God who has numbered our days. There should be fear of a God that has the control that we all wish we had. He says, fear him. But not in a hopeless way. We get to fear God in a hopeful way. Because this God who has all this control has made himself known to us. He has given himself to us. He has revealed himself to us. And he has invited us in to be his children whom he loves through Jesus Christ. See, for us on this side of the cross... Part of fearing God is, is embracing God, coming to God in the only way he said we can come to him, and that's through Jesus Christ. So we look to Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. We put faith there. We become his children or adopted into his family. He loves us, and therefore this God that we have fear of his power, we also have hope in his love, trust in his kindness. We rest in his grace. So just like when I've had to choose for my son to have dark days, like a surgery or a medical procedure for his good, things that I knew would hurt him in that day, we get to trust our God who allows us to have days that might hurt because he knows those days are days that bring us into a glorious life with him. They're invitations to remember our creator to sit with our creator. And so he says, fear God and keep his commandments. It's keeping his commandments part is beautiful because keeping his commandments is what enables us to go enjoy all the gifts of life without sinning. Because let's just be honest, enjoying all the gifts of life is full of temptations. Temptation to make them ultimate, temptation to chase after them, temptation to, um, to cope uh, with the pains of life, with those things, there's temptations there. And so we keep his commandments as we enjoy the gifts of life, and therefore we walk in holiness. And we do this because he says every deed will be brought into judgment. Every secret thing, good and evil, will be revealed. Church, on a, in one piece, that is terrifying. 
you're an unbeliever, that's about all it is. All of your sin revealed. All of your rebellion towards God revealed with no hope. For those who have placed faith in Jesus, our sins will be revealed that day. But so will the blood of Christ. I will understand the grace of God in a way that day we don't today. Because all of our sins will be brought out. And the grace of God will cover them all. But this is also a hopeful promise. It's hopeful in this. It's hopeful because not only will all of our sins be revealed, but also will all the injustice of the world. And so every sin done to you, every hurt brought upon you, it will be revealed and it will be judged. The one that hurt you, that abused you, that, that damaged you so much with their sin, they don't get away with it. so we get to sit today and hope that one day all of these things will be revealed. We get to trust that one day hidden sin will be revealed and unrecognized good will be revealed. That every act of injustice will be revealed and every moment of our worship in secret will be revealed. All these things will be known. A beautiful day. What that means is that there's not a moment of your life, not a day of your life, not a layer of your life that is meaningless. The dark days and the light days and the eh, gray days, they all have meaning. Every action, every word, every enjoyment of gift, every pleasure in life, every expenditure of yourself for someone else, every pain that's been done to you, every sin that you've committed, they all have meaning. They'll all be revealed. So let us walk carefully and humbly. Let us keep his commandments. Let us fear God. Let us remember our creator. And let us enjoy life in the day that we have while we still have days. And then let us step into glory. Let us worship our creator all the days, void of heaven. What a beautiful day. That's our hope. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your word. What a promise we've been given. Would you cause us to be worshipers of you as we enjoy you? Would you cause us to be rejoicers in you as we trust you? Would you bring healing from the hurts and the sins that have been done to us by your sovereign, good care of us? Make us wise. May we number our days. Father, may that day where the hevel of this world fades away and there's an eternal glory awaiting, may that day come soon. May our not the Lord come quickly. We pray these things in your name. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.